Welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for your support and joining us along on our journey to improving the foster care system. For those who are new, welcome to the Foster Care Experience podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision makers. We are all youth from care who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure we see changes to a disconnected system. In today's episode, we will be talking about the raw group home experience. Throughout my time in foster care, I was always nervous of the idea of being put into a group home. You're constantly being told that a group home is a place where the bad children who are too unstable to live in a foster home end up. A group home is the last resort for when a child is unable to get along in a family-like environment. A group home is a system of structure, like a prison. It is a place where you are constantly surveilled and regulated, and the punishments are pretty severe. This is a difficult conversation to have with anybody who is speaking about their experience. The things that happen behind closed doors are pretty hands-on and traumatizing. Today's guest is a very strong individual who uses her lived experience to shed light on the darkness of the group home system. She is a youth advocate was developing her own podcast and working with an organization to educate youth on their rights and provide legal aid to youth who are not properly protected by the system. Sadika is currently pursuing her undergraduate degree and she is a fighter and a powerhouse. So please welcome Sadika. Okay, so my name is Sadika. Um, I am currently uh, finishing up college and in my journey for advocacy I grew up in care since I was six years old and I've been through many different foster homes and many different schools and a group home and shelters and been through a long journey through um, being in care and now I am on my own and excited to be here to talk with Shanice about my experience and to inform you guys better of what it's like to really be in those situations. Yeah, yeah. And this episode is going to be a kind of a tough one for the both of us because um, today we're actually going to be talking about group homes. Um, and so, like, I'm, I'll share a little bit about my experience to really start those that conversation. Um, so, personally, when I first heard of a group home, it was like the worst thing you could possibly be put into in the child welfare sector. It was like something that foster kids would be afraid of um, because it was just known that only bad kids who weren't able to really live in a family would go or was too unstable or something like that. Too many issues. Yeah. yeah. And so um, personally, like I was like my first group home, which I was put into, I was tricked into going into it oh it was it was a really gnarly experience like I think my worker she had something against me 
you know, which one of those ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was bad because yeah. essentially what she ended up doing was she didn't tell me where I was moving to because um, I had you know come to an end of that placement. It just wasn't a good fit um, in New Market, and um, before I was to move, she had told me nothing specific. She just said that it was in Richmond Hill, but she knew that I did not want to move into a group home. So essentially, she had left for vacation. And you know how workers love to They always vacation. do it right after you off. Always. <laughs> but she yeah. didn't even, like, drop me off. It was somebody else. It was, like, I think her placement worker. So she oh, okay. had left. She had made that agreement to move me to the new place. Mm-hmm. Um, Without and then, asking you first. Yeah. And then left. And then I moved there. And she, wasn't, she wouldn't have been back for, like, another month. When I found out I was there, I was bawling. I was so mad. And to be honest, I had good reason because group homes are hectic. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so, um, no, like, tell me, like, what was your first impression of group homes? Honestly, when I first got told I was going to group home, I had no idea what it was, but I had only heard bad things about it. And my social worker actually showed up at my school when I was in class and I uh, got called down to the office and all that. And th- uh, basically she told me that we're kicking you out of the home you're uh, coming from, the home you're currently in, sorry, the foster home. And the foster lady was there too and she said, I'm leaving you with your worker. I had all my stuff packed in the van and garbage bags. <gasps> and that was it. Like I didn't, I didn't have any other choice and I literally broke down crying in the office and begged my worker to um, not let me go to the group home. And I actually like went down on my knees and begged her and cried and was like, don't let me go back to the group home. It's hell. I will hurt myself if I go back. I swear, like, I don't want to. So um, obviously she still drove me there and um, she left me and then also went on vacation because they always do yeah there is so much to unpack there first of all like this whole idea that we're really trying to paint is that like our voices is not heard Mm -hmm. and so when you're saying that you don't want to go somewhere but you have no choice in the matter that is that is one thing i can't stand it drives you insane it's like you have no control or power over your own life and you're forced to go through trauma Mm-hmm. that's essentially what the foster care system is and that's especially in group homes the trauma is worse yeah so. and so to and i know i know this sounds a little bit vague but i think that we should both kind of explain to them mm-hmm. what exactly it's like to live in these group homes sure yeah um so the way that i hear a lot of people explain it is that it's essentially like a prison for kids um you Basically. have no freedom your bags are checked at the door yep. a lot of the times. I, most of the times. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, there's very strict, like, rules and policies in regards to, like, if you're allowed to go out, when you're allowed to go out. Um, you know, there's a tier system in group homes as well. Uh, it's, I don't know. It could, it could, I don't know. It's a lot. How about we describe each of our group homes, what it was like. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for me, the first group home that I was in, um, it was, uh, there was a lot of Africans there. And um, 
it's almost like they really come with their heritage where it's like they want to beat you but they can't legally <laughs> yeah. and so it's like almost like you know it got so uh you know f almost like physical where you would go like end up face to face with a staff um for no reason mm -hmm. or face to face with another youth or like youth are constantly being handled or restrained by staffs or yeah. something along those lines um and you know i don't know there's just a lot to unpack with my first group home it was even though i was only there for like two months before i moved into another group home for about a year um but essentially it was so chaotic that i wasn't able to focus on my schooling and i was one who was really trying to achieve because i was in grade 12 at that point and I was really trying to get into university. I wanted my focus to be on my grades and I wasn't able to because I was constantly surrounded by chaos. Dealing with so much going on. Yeah. And like it's like nobody in any of the sectors, whether it's like in education, like my teachers didn't understand. They thought that I was just bullshitting mm -hmm. um, when it comes to like me being late or distracted on my assignments and not being able to focus or complete my stuff on time. Yeah. They wouldn't like, they would try to offer me support, but it's like, you know, I I tried my best and I could only do so much. Do so much and then exactly. group homes just not give me the space to legitimately do my schoolwork. Like, I remember getting into massive arguments with staff about where I was allowed to do my homework in the house. And, you know, accessibility mm -hmm. to electronics, the internet, all of these. So rare. It is really hard for kids in care. So for us to be, actually be, the reason, so this might be an interesting statistic for you. Mm -hmm. Like, I think around 40% of youth in care drop out of high school you know i believe that yeah it's so hard to actually manage school when you're dealing with all these issues especially things like mental health yeah right on and then your surroundings are also really negative yeah and it's just like it puts on this whole thing that just makes you like unable to function in general exactly yeah. and that's like it's like here's the crazy thing it's either 40 percent dropped out mm -hmm. or 40 percent graduate meaning 60 percent dropped out yeah, that's just, that should not be happening. That should yeah. not be normal. So post-secondary for the majority mm -hmm. of, like, foster kids is such a slim possibility, right? Especially university. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know. It's like being somebody who was very ambitious, it was so incredibly difficult for me to focus because it was almost like I was persuaded not to, right? They, yeah. Like, there's this thing which, like, every month they give us, like, our plan of cares, mm -hmm. right? And the social workers come in. Exactly. They would read us our rights, yep. our responsibility. Yep. In the little booklet or page. And they would hand that to us. Every plan of care that happens about every three to six months. And... And that's and, if your worker's not on vacation, too, because sometimes they skip out on the plan of cares. Wow. True. I've, I've had it happen once or twice. So Shit! Yeah. <laughs> like, the plan of cares, like, is, like, one of the only times in which you're really able to advocate for yourselves, essentially. Um, but 
in that list of rights and responsibilities, within these group homes for sure, a lot of those rights and responsibilities are just out the door. They they don't matter. They don't exist. So it's like you're in prison. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. When it comes to group home experience, you don't have much options in general. And in my group home, they locked up the food. And if you missed a meal plan or, like, a, a meal time, you just wouldn't get to eat. Yeah. And um, at some point, like, most of the time you don't really have that freedom. Like you said, it's like it's like a, a prison. And you don't have anyone to call. Like, if you need to call someone or you need to contact someone in general to let them know that you're unsafe or you feel unsafe or your rights aren't being put in place, then you basically can't contact anyone. So in mine, they had no devices at all, except for one small computer that you could transfer MP3 player songs onto it. And yeah, that was pretty much it. When it came to schoolwork, like you didn't have a laptop or anything like that to get it even done. Yeah, it's really hard to paint that picture of a group home in like a really short amount of time because there's so many aspects of it Mm -hmm. it's one it's just like a ball of inconsistency and instability for a lot of kids because we're seeing new faces in and out of the home Mm -hmm. all the time with new staff who work on a shift to shift basis and sometimes you know one shift may be a staff who you really don't get along with and so that next eight hours for you is hell. hell yeah and then you have another staff in which you could bond with, who understands you, who you connect with, but then it's almost like you get so sad and depressed when they leave because it's going to be like, oh, shit, when am I going to see you again, you know? Yeah, or staff will leave because they get fired because they did something good, maybe, or they tried to help out the kid and, like, take them out to eat or something because you couldn't really go out of the house unless, like, you had a job or you were going to the school. Yeah. yeah. And then every time they checked the bags um, in my home, like they, they would, basically they would strip search you too. So they would get you to go into the bathroom, take off everything, and then they would check and all that. What? Yeah. So that, cause some people would like tape it to their body, like tape something to their body or like with cigarettes, like it was really hard, but people would still smoke it inside, like right outside the house anyways, or we'd go up on the roof and smoke. Uh, but people would sometimes like stick it to their body and all that. So they'd have to, the staff would have to actually properly check to make sure that nothing like dangerous or anything like cigarettes or drugs came in. This is really about us. Mm-hmm. And I want you to- share un- the same experience, right? Exactly. With, like similar situations. Right. You, similar you're things. as much as a part of this as I am, right? I, like I, I want to stress your value here. <laughs> Like, you're so incredibly valuable and so incredibly precious. Like, I want to make sure that I properly give you the spotlight. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, I just don't know how much of it to mention because there's been... A lot of graphic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like... A lot of graphic stuff. Like, you'd wake up to people, like, doing shit and... Quite frankly, um, I personally think that... If you're comfortable, you could. I have a story I can share, too. Okay. Um, How did when you... I ran away and ended up in the hospital. Ah. Uh... And then...
yeah so <sighs> reminiscing about you know our experiences with staff mm -hmm. um i personally feel like that contributed to a lot of my trust issues mm -hmm. because i never really got to have a long lasting bond with anybody it was just that's like the overall issue with the foster care system mm -hmm. and like you know constantly meeting new strangers and thinking that they're your family and then you know in uh, reality you're alone most of the time yeah yeah it's like you know <laughs> the group home system and the changings of staff is like mm -hmm. a worse version of that because essentially they really do like to preach the idea that group homes is a program it's a program run by a third party licensed uh maybe non-profit organization but they're getting paid for the kids who are there mm -hmm. right yeah they're getting paid to take care of them but they're not doing that and they're not being held accountable mm -hmm. to making sure that the standards of which in which kids are living mm -hmm. is adequate and so one of the and it, and it leaves a lot of kids just like alone mm -hmm. and confused and untrusting of anybody that comes into their life mm -hmm. and so what do we like i don't know i personally think that there has been some really strong connections with staff that or bonds that i've built with staff who ended up leaving that mm -hmm. hurt me so much because it eventually turned into it turned me to a place where I no longer had anybody because everyone left, mm -hmm. right? And I was alone. And it wasn't just me. It was a lot of other kids that lived in that group home as well. Mm -hmm. And it's not their fault, right? Yeah. It's just they are put in a really sh shitty situation. And because of all of this inconsistency, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, they end up just like running away. Yep. And so, I don't know, there's this really big thing called AWOL in group homes. And essentially that's where a child that lives in the group home will run away out of the group home and just like maybe not come back for a couple of days. I've done that once, but <laughs> I've done that mm -hmm. with the intentions of absolutely never coming back. So I packed up my things. Yep. And I left that group home, went to my mother's house. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> went to my mother's house. And then the cops came to the school. They they have to end up calling they the cops. They have to call the cops right away as soon as you run away. Yeah. And so then the worst thing about that is that they also call your friends, your closest friends or whatever. And then Just your friends. To figure out where you are and invade your privacy majorly. Exactly. Yeah. And then your friends start to freak out. And one of my friends made a post about me saying that I was kidnapped <laughs> and, oh and it started like trending on Twitter or something yeah. like that. It was really bad. But, um, and so, but like I texted her telling her I was fine or whatever, but no, like I had experience running away from a group home because I couldn't take the stress. You need I to escape it. You feel yeah. like you need to escape it consistently. Yeah. I couldn't take the isolation. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't take the idea that literally everybody in that house mm -hmm. felt like they were against me. Right, everybody was struggling. Nobody was finding their way, yep. and I was stuck in that because I was trying to, but it was almost like 
because I was so much more well-off than a lot of the kids who were there, because mm -hmm. I was so, like, I was doing a lot better educationally-wise, like, school-wise. Like, you know, they would really, not even just them, but the staff would try and throw me off my game, and that's not right. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have experience sure. with that? Yeah, so I ran away once, um, and I, I had the intention of not coming back as well until I was moved to a proper placement because I couldn't handle the group home anymore. And during that time, I also um, tried to um, kill myself before that as well. And then eventually I did run away and I ended up in a, a different city and I, um, I was with another girl as well. And um, yeah, so basically we, we went, it didn't last very long though because it was winter time and we didn't have any proper gear to get through the winter time and travel. And then eventually cops were out looking for us as well. So we got scared and we went to um, a shelter, but then um, it was so bad, like the weather and all that. And I, um, I ended up in the hospital and then um, stayed in the hospital like overnight. And eventually uh, when I was about to be discharged, um, the staff came and um, obviously I was punished for it. And yeah, basically that's what, that's what happened. Yeah, like and so when I tell you that the things that we go through, the things that we have to see mm -hmm. is, it, it's a lot for somebody who's really trying to find themselves in, in a stage of really trying to find themselves. And I'm so sorry to hear that like you, ever was put into a place where you felt like your life wasn't worth living like let me tell you I like I I understand that feeling so much it's especially because like first of all that's a really well-known thing um in group homes is that like you know at least in the group home that I was in there was at least five attempts and I know this is a very sensitive conversation, but this is a, it's so important for people to know the realities of what goes on in Canada. This is happening in Canada, right? Um, and so a lot of the staff don't, are, I guess they're not really properly trained around these things because it's like they don't know how to properly support a kid who's in that situation or feeling that way because they feel like it's just attention seeking. Yeah. And so as they a, always call it a lot of the time it's like other kids having to step up to the plate and support each other. I've done that a few times. Mm -hmm. I've had to take away pills from like some youth's hands or like literally be there at the hospital after somebody who has legitimately tried to attempt, who had overdosed off of everything, codeine, cough syrup, Xanax, and pills. alcohol, pills, yeah. legitimately tried to end his life. And I went, ended up going to the hospital because first of all, nobody else was going to, nobody else was. Nobody else was there other than like later, another one of our friends came. And that's the worst part. How yeah. No one there when you're in the hospital no, after but, what you've done. Right. And just waking up and realizing there's no, no one, there. one there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what happened, like, the worst, uh, I don't know, I don't know. So I was there. I try to be there. I try to be there for people who ever feel like they're in that stage, that they don't need to be. Or if they feel like that, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I try to help them find their value, their worth, at least in my life. 
because that's something yeah. valuable. Yeah. Hopefully. At least to try to help out another youth. Yeah. Uh, so I had an instance like that um, when a youth, uh, like, she um, cut herself. It was actually the girl who I ran away with. Um, and she, the staff found her in the bathroom, and she had used my razor that I didn't realize and totally forgot about that I had, and she told me to not tell the staff when they didn't find it after they checked my stuff. And so I hid it because I was too scared to tell them that they didn't find it in the things when they searched it, and it was still in my bag. And then little did I know the next day that she used it. And I got in a lot of trouble for that because it was mine, and I felt really, really terrible about it because it was mine. And then um, the boss, um, she raised her hand like she was going to hit me, and I got scared and panicked and ran out the house onto the road to try to, like, get away from that. And then the staff, two of them, pinned me in the, like, on the ground in gravel and literally dragged me back to the house and then all surrounded me in the main hall and just watched me cry. And then they also, what's even worse, is made the girl clean up her own blood on top of that while yelling at her. And I thought that was the most horrible thing you could make someone do by watching them do that. But yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. Like, there is like no words for that. That's fair. Like there's, I don't know. That's just evidence that literally these people, they don't know how to work with youth who are struggling with trauma. They don't. And mental health, they don't. They're they not don't. trained and equipped enough for it. Yeah. They treat you like you're inhumane. They treat you as if... As if you're not struggling and looking for support mm -hmm. but more so somebody who's just looking for trouble yeah like you're just a troubled kid who's just is up to no good all the time like there's not enough compassion there's not enough empathy mm -hmm. and it's and it's like how is this a thing in canada like nobody knows about this no kid should have to go through it. No one. And just because we were unlucky enough to be put into the foster care system, not even because it was our parents' fault a lot of the times. Like, you'd be surprised some of the methods in which they use to, you know, I don't know. I, like, they are, I don't know, they really do try to justify it, but uh, there has been some allegations, which we can't get into right now, um, where, like, uh, yeah, there's just been some allegations and where there, there may have been some malpractices in, um, admitting a youth into the foster care system and taking them away from their parents. Um, and so, uh, for legal purposes, we can't get into that, but it's just, 
it's why it's really important for us to actually start talking about this. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us because you'd be surprised of how many times we actually share a story with people and how incredibly difficult and draining it is for us. It's very draining. It is. I, I know this is like really heavy and hard for people to hear and to listen to. Like suicide is a really taboo topic. Mm-hmm. It is so taboo. Um, but like, what can you do when you feel like you have absolutely no other choice where it's like, you don't feel like anybody is on your side Mm -hmm. and you feel so alone, you feel alone and there's no point on trying to keep fighting. That was my biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Like I, I I was, I was, I tried to be a fighter. I really did. But sometimes it was like people really kept getting in the way of me, uh, you know, being like being able to keep pushing forward because they wanted to see me fail, mm-hmm. right? And so it was like, why should I continue to push forward and like try and put in all this effort when it's like, <laughs> you know, the the results are going to be the same right mm-hmm. and i personally remember a time where like i was in high school and there was this kid we were talking about bullying and stuff like that in the classroom and there was this kid um who had just like out of the blue like not out of the blue but it was a part of the conversation but he was like you know i personally think that people who commit suicide are just weak and Right? Oh. <laughs> I was sitting right next to him. Damn. And I looked at him. And I wish I had said something in that moment. Because I was so infuriated. And I'm still thinking about that guy. That is very infuriating. To this day. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody who has not gone through... Like, that is just like a privileged-ass mm-hmm. thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yep. Only people who've never gone through real trauma in their life can say that, like... You know, people who commit suicide are weak. No, I feel for them, you know. I feel for their emotions and maybe their reasons as to why they feel like that is their only option. Because you get to the point where you feel like that is your only option. Yeah, because you're pushed. You feel. Yeah, you're, you're pushed to that extent. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're living, like, it's like you put in the effort, mm-hmm. but it's like this constant cycle that you're currently trapped in that you don't know how to get out of. And so when you're constantly surrounded by negativity, and you can't just like force yourself to be happy. Yeah. And that was one of his like things that he tried to argue is that, you know, if you're sad, you could just make yourself feel happy. Right. It's not how it works. It's not how it yeah. works. If you're depressed, if you have anxiety, you can't just stop yourself from having anxiety. Mental health is too much of a bitch to stop it. It is. It, it drags you down to the extent of where you get to the, your such low point. Yeah. Where you feel like so pointless and you're walking around like a zombie and you just feel like you're like, you're saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay to everyone. But when inside, like, in reality, you're really not, like, you're so far from it and you just want to, like, break down or stay in bed all the time and all that. Like, people need to understand it's not just something that happens instantaneously. Exactly. It happens over time, mostly through past, like, when you're you're younger, past experiences, yeah. Yeah. And, like, the biggest thing I 
people like us really need is just some kind of validation mm -hmm. some kind of like you know support or just like somebody who understands that like you know what we're feeling and that that's able to make us feel like we're not going crazy yeah yeah you know because you feel like you're going crazy when you're like that yeah because like personally for me when I was in these group homes I was so conflicted as to why this shit kept happening to me like why like I am trying my best why me right and like is there something wrong with me yeah like, do I deserve this yeah right and it took me a while to figure out that, oh, wow, the reason why I'm going through this trauma is because this is the exact same trauma that my mother went through when she was a child. Mm -hmm. She was actually in, like, foster care. She was in a group home herself. Oh, she grew up in it. Okay. She didn't grow up. She was, like, there. I think she was, like, she was on her own since she was, like, 16 or something like that. And so, um, yeah, she was, like, in group homes or in the foster care system herself. And I remember when she started opening up to me about that. And it was like, you know, it was a game changer. And I had this conversation with my cousin. Mm -hmm. And I learned that essentially, you know, you know, this is a history of trauma in my family that has never been addressed because mental health is just like a taboo, non-existent thing in our culture. Yep, especially in brown cultures too. Mm -hmm. Like, as an Afghani, like that... Mm -hmm. That does not get brought up. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When I made that discovery that my trauma, my situation, was a result of, you know, situations uh, that was brought onto my family that was stemming from actually slavery, mm -hmm. my trauma and the things that I experienced did not, no longer held the same weight over me. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it was like I now knew that I wasn't the reason that I didn't deserve this. I was just a byproduct. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that was one thing that allowed me to keep fighting and pushing and helped me find my strength again because I was in the darkness and mm -hmm. I was lost because I didn't have an answer. Because I didn't have a reason why. Right. And so that is one piece of advice that I would recommend. And the reason why I even went looking for the answer is because a staff at a group home had sat down and told to me, like, I remember I was having like a breakdown in front of him because I was so overwhelmed with school and like stress. And I didn't know if I was actually able to do it. I didn't have confidence in myself. And he said to me, it's like if you want to go looking for the answer go to the source of your trauma and just listen and observe listen and observe and the answer will come to you go seeking for the answer and it will come to you and it did right and since then like yeah I still had anxiety just because I had the answer doesn't mean that all of my problems were able to go away instantaneously but mm -hmm. I was able to cope right yeah I was able to find ways to cope and my my coping mechanism was to fight against this intergenerational trauma and to make sure that it doesn't define my life and it no longer defines the rest of my family's life or generations to come after me because mm -hmm. it ends here it ends with me 
essentially. So like I don't know like how how did you like how did you find strength? I. It was, it was weird because people like would tell me that like I'm like I'm stronger than you think when I when I did when it came to like going to therapy or like you know or like talking to like um, friends at some point like they'd be like all right you know you got this you're stronger but you feel you feel so weak in the moment. And yeah. when you're dealing with all of it, and the one thing that helped me, well, it was two things, but it was one thing more, um, was working out and listening to music, um, like going for runs. But music was the huge one that mainly impacted me because music just knows how you feel no matter what you're feeling. Like, oh my God, you can relate so, so much to it. Yeah. And then also, like, singing on top of that, too, like even if you're not a good singer or anything, like just singing and just letting it out or letting something out just had such a like impact and just ease your mind a little bit in a way. And yeah, like that when you, when you want to block something out, when you bl- want to block out yelling or someone getting hit or people like... People run to music. Or yeah, people run to music. Like That's true. I ran to it. I'm sure many other people have too. Like you just want to blast your ears and just listen to it and just... Only think about that and keep reminding yourself to breathe yeah. through it. That is so true. That, like, yo, that's almost, like, scary to me because I remember how music used to, like, really change my mood mm-hmm. so quickly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it really does a lot. I think that's why a lot of people seek comfort in music. Mm-hmm. So, like, personally, I think that, like, um, I don't know. There are healthy and like unhealthy coping mechanism mechanisms, and that's okay if and they're unhealthy. Is. It's totally okay if they're unhealthy. Yeah, it's just how you cope. It is. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like, what are you currently using? Like, how are you currently using your music to help you cope? Like, do you write or? Yeah, I I write um, most of the time, but I haven't been doing it enough because of the fact that I haven't been as well as I want to be or in the place that I want to be, but yeah. I've been trying to keep pushing through it by writing and trying to play instruments too and keep singing when I can and keep, like, and mostly just listening to music because it's, like, social anxiety is a big piece for me too, so... When I'm out in public, you know, music's still there and it helps. Okay, so I, I, I do have, like, I know this is going to be jumping back into the conversation and I really want to start talking about your advocacy, but I, I just I just need to know, just so people out there know, mm-hmm. like, has there ever been, like, a time where you feel like staff had taken advantage of you because of the situation that you were in? And this is the thing that a lot of people don't understand about, like, yo, there's a lot of regulations, there's a lot of rules, there's a lot of policies that they have to follow and it's unlikely that they're going to break them you don't understand the realities that goes underneath group homes like i'm telling you now and i guess these are going to be strong allegations but there are instances where staffs are sleeping with the kids selling drugs to the kids these are all realities and i don't even like i don't even need to just like say that these are speculations or anything like that because it's just been seen by my own eyes or heard by mm-hmm. my, my own ears right mm-hmm. and so 
I don't know. Like, personally, like, I, I'm gonna, like, ask you the question again. But, like, I will give you one example. I remember there was this one time in which I stayed at the group home in which I initially started to talk about. And obviously, I'm not gonna give names to, you know, keep their identity sacred so we don't get sued. Mm -hmm. But, um, essentially, one of the, the one way I know for a fact that staff really took advantage of the kids, because there was this one, like, around 13, 14 year old girl that lived in the group home, and we didn't get paid shit. A lot of our money, like, allowance that we would get to $10, use. $10. Yeah, it was, like, $5. 10 bucks or something along yeah. those lines. You would get, like, an extra $2 for doing, like, extra chores yeah. around the house. But one of the staffs actually made one of the girls, like, clean her car spotless, like, inside and out for $2. Yeah, so <laughs> something like that has happened to me before, too. And I'm like, girl, listen. Yeah. I try to go to the room like, listen, know your worth. Do not ever, ever let somebody demean you like that. Yep. Regardless of how young you are, mm -hmm. like, it's $2 is wrong. It's somebody taking advantage of you and your situation. The mm -hmm. fact that they know that you don't have money, so you are willing to do whatever you want. It's yep. so wrong, right? And this is what people need to realize. There is a serious issue here. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. They had us um, clean out um, two, two of the vans that were in the group home. And, well, they offered it for money as well. And um, I can't remember the exact price, but I think it was like $5 or less. And obviously, like, me and a few other kids agreed to it because it's money, you know? Yeah. You, you really need money at those points, you know? You got to save up and all that because CAS doesn't provide enough money. Exactly. Um, but, yeah. So it was just that similar thing. Yeah. Like, think about it. Like, we use that money to buy ourselves food. And necessities. And necessities. Like, toothbrush, toothpaste. Razors. Yep. Tampons, yep. pads. Yep, Everything that you need. Need need. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, a lot of the times they don't properly provide it for us. Mm -hmm. Or they provide us with, like, the cheapest version. Yep. Which is, like, whatever, fine. But it also is kind of damaging to some people. Like, some people have, like, special need like you know uh, uh needs or whatever to have like mm -hmm. a high quality quality razor or something yeah, yeah. along those lines Aller or even like or something like that yeah or hair products or hair right products, yeah especially from like black for people, black perspective yeah right yeah, like you really listen it's, it's like it's like these <laughs> yep. staff go into these things for the right reasons mm -hmm. but it doesn't end up seeming like the right reasons at all ever right because like who in their right mind would ever take advantage of a kid for their situation who in their right mind would go into a place where kids are actually currently struggling with their mental health with addiction and encourage that behavior by buying or selling these drugs to them mm -hmm. like there's something legitimately wrong into that and there's not enough investigations being looked into it and these are adults that we're dealing with here mm -hmm. like full grown ass adults mm -hmm. who are asked to take care of the kids exactly yeah and it's like, okay, like, I, I know the advocacy office was important, mm -hmm. you know? And it was. they were the ones in which you were supposed to call if you were experiencing these things. They were supposed to be your first line of defense. Well, not first line, maybe like last line or something. It'd be where you would call if you were in danger and you yeah. needed that help and you couldn't reach your worker Yeah, or even your worker was against you yeah, or something like that. Yeah, or your worker like was that. against you, yeah, exactly. And so then... The Conservative Party, Doug Ford, had closed down the advocate's office. 
um, and uh, to save money. Yeah, and it's been replaced by the ombudsman office. Mm -hmm. And the ombudsman's office doesn't really do anything for the kids. Yeah. And so, but I know that you're working on something. Yes. So, um, should I explain the whole rundown? I would love for you yeah. to. Okay, so I work with a lawyer and um, a paralegal and um, another um, girl who handles our camera stuff and technology part and websites. Um, and we are basically trying to run as the new Youth Advocates, Advocates Office. Um, and we're called Youth Empowering Youth. And so the idea is we teach youth about the laws that they don't know enough about, like the um, Children, Youth, and Family Services Act um, or the United Nations um, Conventions Rights. Um, yeah, the United Nations Convention Rights of rights. the Con Convention of the Rights <laughs> of the Child. UNCRC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, like, uh, it's not a really long document, but it's... No, a it's not. But it's important for the youth to know. It so is. basically we, we are trying to take these youth and be like, you are warriors, you are fighters, and you know what you've been through, and use your story as a powerful tool to help you get through stuff and to advocate for yourself and many other youth who are stuck in terrible situations all over Canada. Yeah. And there are a lot of them. So the main idea is to help these youth, and so we put up a website, um, and then um, I have a sort of separate website where I um, try to tell the youth, um, like get the youth to tell their stories in the way they want to in a voice recording. And then um, the whole idea is to basically be the new youth advocates office. So when youth need resources or they need someone to call and be like, hey, I'm in this situation, you know, we got a lawyer, a paralegal, like eventually social worker as it builds and all that. And we, and we got all these youth knowing their laws and knowing their rights properly and having it um, like a lot of information or enough information to stand up for themselves and be like, I know what I need, I know what I want, this is my situation, like help me, or um, I know how to help myself, just help me to get to that point, basically. And they can lead it from there. I love that. Yeah, that's and pretty I, much it. Let me tell you, I support you guys so much. I want to legitimately help you guys as much as I humanly can mm -hmm. because I believe in your organization. I believe in everything what you stand for. And I believe in this because this is a great thing to have, just a conversation piece just back and forth. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, we're planning on doing a lot more but it's, mm -hmm. uh, with this organization but of course, yeah. it's really important for us to know each other mm -hmm. it's important for us our organizations to know each other so we're able to support each other to work together right and yeah. first of all let me tell you mm -hmm. i love how incredibly light and glowy you get when you talk about this organization yeah. like you have so much passion and power inside of you like i know that you hear counselors and all these other people say that yes you are a powerful it's different when you're hearing it from somebody who's actually gone through the same experiences and who has been really working hard to find their way through it all mm -hmm. and has been an advocate as well for using care mm -hmm. we're fighting for the same things yeah exactly that's why it's better when you work together and yeah. also the main thing that drives me is the youth who need help yeah. like until every single one of those youth like laws actually changed the system is properly changed that is when we can stop like fighting so much but right now we need to address the grave issues that are happening in yeah. this 
This is so good. I am so excited. You don't even understand. Like, you guys are making such amazing ch changes. Connor Lowe's, in which you guys have saw. Yeah, he's is, also. Yeah, right? he's yeah. creating a new reform, redefining, like, how kids age out of the foster care system Yo, with this readiness that indicator. Is, that is messed up. It is. It is and so you're in up. that process right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, how are you dealing with COVID? <laughs> how I'm dealing? Uh... You want to be completely honest? Yes. Um, talking about it with, obviously, with youth who also understand what it's like to go through these things. Because it's really different when someone genuinely understands what it's like. And yeah. it's like you know what you're each fighting for. And it makes it easier to work towards the end goal when you know what you're all fighting for. Yes. Especially when you're together and it's like this whole big thing. Yeah. That we're creating. We're literally creating a whole ass movement and change. think about it like all like i've heard from a bunch of other people throughout mm -hmm. the summer of this podcast by this guy and this person who's building this organization mm -hmm. and today we are legitimately coming together like we are partnering up yeah, yeah. i know that me uh christopher caudle who you guys will meet are partnering up it's jackson amazing. gates who is a paralegal, which you were talking and about. And that is one of the people that I work with. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, who she works with. And he's coming on to our podcast next week. He, wasn't able, he was supposed to be here today, but, like, you know, he wasn't feeling well and wanted to make sure that his health and his safety was the first number one priority here. Mm -hmm. And so, but he is another powerful leader. Like, <laughs> when I tell you, when you abuse kids for too long and enough of them, we will start to increase the numbers and start to fight back. And you won't know what's happened. Because you, you will sick not, of it. Exactly. You yeah. will not know what has hit you. Because the issue is that a lot of people hasn't taken accountability for their lack of action. Or act, lack of action. Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is, it is a lack of action. And choosing to ignore it. I mean, there's so many books out there that The Advocate um, had youth make. Yeah and um that we put on our website so yeah. youth can access it and yet it's all addressing the same issues in all these books it's the same stuff that youth are asking for give me proper care give me my necessities like essentially stop moving me around yeah like give a shit about me you know like care yeah. about me ah uh, and yeah. like literally this was something that was said by aiden in the on um, the last episode it was like if the government treated us like their own children mm -hmm. legitimately we would see so much more progress yep. if they mm -hmm. cared about us like they care about their own child as if we were their own child mm -hmm. they would ensure that our safety is actually the number one priority yeah they will, sh yeah. They will not only just our safety mm -hmm. but like our well-being yeah our yep. our growth our success they would not try to stop us down and limit the resources and stop us which leads to those high percentages of kids dropping out of high school yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. exactly and so th th the, this is the reason why like you know the system needs to change and this is the reason why that we created this podcast so you could see all of the youth who are now stepping up to the plate and so you could hear our stories understand what we've gone through what we've overcome mm -hmm. right and how incredibly powerful we are. Yep. Like, I am so proud of you, man. You don't even I'm understand. I'm proud of you, too, man, because you overcame a lot, too. You'll listen! <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the same back to you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm not just repeating what you're saying, too. Like, yeah. Genuinely, like, this is, this is big steps. So we got to make it happen. If, they're, if the adults 
aren't gonna care and do stuff about it, then we, we... have to have our own backs. Yeah, yeah, like, we have to have our own backs. You're you're on your own. All right, like mm-hmm. I'll stand up for myself then. Exactly, like your friend lawyer said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we need to be able to find our safety net. Who yeah. are the people who which we can trust? And we need you guys to help us let us know who we are able to trust. Who is on our side? And who is going to help us push this narrative that the foster care system is broken and needs legitimate fixing Mm -hmm. by partnering with us and not just having these dumb one-off conversations, not by just writing a book that's not really read or implemented or Mm -hmm. regulated, right? Like genuine changes. Genuine changes by having ongoing conversations with us, Mm -hmm. ongoing development of programming, and just like... You know, just respect. You gotta respect us, man. Respect. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. That's mostly what it is. So, I definitely want you to plug in everything what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And let the world know who you are. Um, what are some of the current adventures that you plan on doing in the next year that you hope gets recognition through this podcast? And I encourage you guys to please support her. Support her as Thank much you. as possible. Thank you very much. So let us know. Yeah, honestly, like, this is the main thing that drives me to want to keep going, knowing that I have the chance to help other people and not let them go through what I went through, which, like, and not have as many issues like anxiety and depression and all that and trauma and all that. Like, mm-hmm. the, the youth and the people the kids that we need to help like those are the, that's what drives us mm-hmm. that's the main thing yeah it is so like honestly as long as youth can be a part of this and reach out and say like hey i want to share mine or mm-hmm. i want to help out in whatever i can or i want to like look out for myself and advocate for myself properly mm-hmm. then you know like that can that's what'll help us lift off boom yeah boom. boom but you also do have a podcast in which you're inviting like yeah youth um in the foster care system to like share their stories on a more graphical level yeah so the idea is i know um it's uh it's hard to talk about your story and to be open about it but this kind of um this website is basically you recording yourself in um a voice note to say like and i you answer a few questions um with whatever you're comfortable talking about just as a guideline and I don't release your name, so anonymity is um, required because I know a lot of you don't want to be open about that or workers. And I'm, I'm going to get different perspectives. So the social workers um, and, like, foster parents, if I can, and those different perspectives will hopefully help um, build a better understanding as to what we're working with in all aspects of mm-hmm. it. And, yeah, that's um, pretty much... I, I invite youth to, like shout out an email and yeah. if they want to um, be a part of it and I can explain more in depth. I'm I'm going to write that down. So I'm going to include your email um, okay. down below. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. wherever down below is. <laughs> I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or up above. It's like the um, subscribe people, you know? Yeah. Well, okay, let's just point yeah, just to a bunch point of places. Of side, yeah. And then one of them will be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. If you have made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. Please support us by liking and sharing our content and support the youth that come onto our show. So you've just gotten insider information from the outsiders. 
and we hope in some way you found a home in us. We will see you next time, but until then, take care.